Let us turn in Scripture to Jonah chapter 1, and we'll read the whole of that passage of God's Word, Jonah chapter 1. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. Then the mariners were afraid and cried every man unto his God and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship and he lay and was fast asleep. So the shipmaster came to him and said unto him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God, if so be that God will think upon us that we perish not. They said every one to his fellow, Come and let us cast lots, that we may know for whose cause this evil is upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell upon Jonah. Then said they unto him, Tell us, we pray thee, for whose cause this evil is upon us. What is thine occupation, and whence comest thou? What is thy country, and of what people art thou? And he said unto them, I am an Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which hath made the sea and the dry land. Then were the men exceedingly afraid, and said unto him, Why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then said they unto him, What shall we do unto thee, that the sea may be calm unto us? For the sea wrought, and was tempestuous. And he said unto them, Take me up, and cast me forth into the sea, so shall the sea be calm unto you. For I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to bring it to the land, but they could not. For the sea wrought and was tempestuous against them. Wherefore they cried unto the Lord and said, We beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not upon us innocent blood. For thou, O Lord, hast done as it has pleased thee. So they took up Jonah and cast him forth into the sea, and the sea ceased from her raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord, and made vows. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Read God's word thus far, and our text will be verses 3 through 15. So starting at verse 3 and through verse 15 of this chapter. 
As we know, beloved, Jonah was commanded and commissioned by God to preach and to bring the gospel to Nineveh. Verse 2, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. God sent him to Nineveh. And when God commands, then God must be obeyed. No questions, no objections, no hesitation, simply obedience to God. And then our text begins with these telling words, but Jonah, God had commanded but Jonah disobeyed. God had commanded, but Jonah deliberately rebelled against God. He didn't want to do what God had commanded him, and therefore he didn't do it. And without a word of explanation, he rose up as verse 3 of our text tells us to flee from the presence of the Lord. And then verse 4 begins with another but. But the Lord. But Jehovah. And that is a word that indicates to us that Jonah failed and would fail in his attempt to flee from the presence of the Lord. And he failed because God, as is the theme of the book of Jonah that we've mentioned before, because God is sovereign. Sovereign in his control, as is demonstrated in our passage, over the creation sending a storm to stop Jonah in his tracks. But more significantly, sovereign in his work of grace, sovereign in his saving mercy toward Jonah. Sovereignly he pursued this rebellious and disobedient prophet, this rebellious and disobedient child of God and brought him back. And that's what we consider that together tonight as we look at this passage under the theme of Jonah's attempt to run from God. And we notice three things concerning that. Disobeying God's command fleeing from God's presence and Jehovah's sovereign pursuit. Go to Nineveh, God said to Jonah. Jonah did not go to Nineveh as God commanded him. Jonah knew what he had to do. 
He knew where Nineveh was. He knew it was to the east. Nineveh, the capital city of the nation of Assyria, he knew how to get there, but Jonah deliberately went to the west. He rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. The text tells us he went down to the city and town of Joppa, a coastal town. He found a ship that was going to sail to Tarshish. He paid his fare. He boarded the ship. The ship set sail, and Jonah was well on his way, so he thought, to run away from the presence of God. From what we know, Tashish was located to the far west of the Mediterranean Sea, near the country of Spain. And Tarshish was one of the most different, distant places in the west at that time, some 2,000 miles away. And Jonah planned and Jonah set out to get as far as possible away from God and in the opposite direction that God told him to go. As far away as possible from the presence of the Lord God. Why did Jonah do that? Why did he try to run away from the presence of the Lord? Jonah did that because Jonah considered himself to be only a prophet to Israel. He did not want to preach to the Gentiles. He did not want to preach to the Ninevites. He had been called by God, initially at least, to preach God's word to the nation of Israel, to the Old Testament church. And he knew that the nation of Israel was representative of the chosen people of God in the Old Testament, a special people, and that God had chosen Israel and had not chosen other nations. And as a prophet of God that had been commissioned to bring the word of God at least initially to the nation of Israel, he was jealous for the cause of the Old Testament church and the Old Testament people of God. And in his mind, they were the ones who needed the word of God. They were the ones to whom he should bring the word of God. And they were the ones to whom God should send him to bring the gospel, not to anyone else. And it's certainly true, they did need that word of God. As we saw last time, Jonah was a prophet in the time of Jeroboam II, a very prosperous time in the nation of Israel, the ten tribes in the north, but also in connection with its prosperity, 
a nation that departed more and more and more from the ways of God. They needed the word of God. But Jonah's sin in thinking this way, why should I preach to the Ninevites? Why should I bring the gospel to those who are heathens? How does that fit in with God's purpose to save the nation and the people of God in Israel? There were a number of things that Jonah did not want to happen. One thing he did not want was that the gospel be preached to the Ninevites, Nineveh being the capital city of the nation of, or the, the nation of Assyria. He did not want the gospel preached to them because they were the enemies of the church of God at that time. And in his mind, he was saying to himself, they are the heathen. They are thoroughly wicked and ungodly people. They serve idol gods. Why should they hear the gospel? What right do they have to hear the word of God and to be blessed by that word of God? The gospel should be preached and directed only to the Jews and not for any such ungodly enemy of the church and of the people of God. And in close connection with that, Jonah did not want anyone in Nineveh to be saved. He specifically expresses that later in this book in chapter 4, verse 2. And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country, referring there to receiving the, the initial commission from God to bring the word to Nineveh, and he says, wasn't that my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil. He said that after the Ninevites were converted and saved by God. And that's what he admits, that's what he was genuinely afraid of if he were to bring the gospel to Nineveh. He was afraid that some Ninevites might be saved by the preaching of the word of God there. Jonah was proud. And his pride consisted of this, that he thought that he knew better than God whom God should say. The mercy of God should only be for the nation of Israel, he said. The mercy of God should never be for the pagans and the heathen and the ungodly in this world. In his pride, he took it upon himself to decide really who is to be elect and who is to be reprobate. 
And thirdly, Jonah did not want to be a traitor. He did not want to be called a traitor. If some in Nineveh would be converted and would be saved by his preaching the gospel to them, he did not want to be the one that had preached the gospel to them. He was afraid that many would view him as a traitor and even call and consider him a traitor. He didn't want even to venture out there into Nineveh because of that possibility as well. And so he fled in the opposite direction, away from the presence of the Lord and away from the command that the Lord put before him. It's very well possible, beloved, that those same things have or do characterize us at times. I think, for example, in our witnessing to others and in our evangelism work and in our mission work and even as regards our attitude toward others that are not in our circles. We make a judgment. We make a judgment sometimes concerning who we consider to be worthy of the gospel and who is not in our judgment worthy of the gospel. We think that we ought to bring the gospel only to the church and not waste our time, we think to ourselves, in bringing the gospel to the unchurched. We think to ourselves it's more profitable and therefore we should spend our resources and energy on bringing the gospel to those of a certain nationality in this world, but not to those of another nationality. Or in our own personal witnessing to others, we'd rather speak to a relative about the gospel of Christ than the neighbor who's a drunk. Or we'd rather speak to a relative than the man who lives on the street. And so we ignore those others. Or even this, that we'll bring the gospel and we think we should bring the gospel to those who already hold to certain beliefs that we hold to rather than bringing it to someone who's Arminian or someone who holds to common grace or someone who holds to the well-meant offer the gospel or some other erroneous doctrine. And something even worse might be this, that the idea develops sometimes in our minds and we allow it to sit there in our minds that we and our children, our generations are 
more worthy of the gospel than others are. So that we might even think to ourselves, it makes sense to us that God has saved us. It makes sense to us that God has brought us into his church and revealed his truth to us. Because we're more receptive to the gospel than many others would be. That thinking, those ideas are clearly condemned by the word of God in our text. The Lord says to his church, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, not selectively and not being racist in doing so. And the word of God to the believer and to a congregation in its work of evangelism is, we may not, you may not take the approach of deciding who is worthy. Simply obey the call and the command of God to bring his word to others. God has decided whom he will save. He will save them, and we are simply instruments and means in his hands so that that gospel is brought through us to those whom God has ordained unto eternal life. And our calling is simply to witness and to preach the word to all whom God in his providence gives us the opportunity. And there are opportunities aplenty in our lives. Witness faithfully and leave the fruit to the Lord. Because who decides who is elect and reprobate? God does. God does and not man. God did and not Jonah. Jonah may not and we may not either. Jonah fled from the presence of the Lord. What does that really mean? It's important for us to understand that. First of all, beloved, Jonah was not simply trying to hide from God so that God would not see him. He knew very well the truth of God's omnipresence. He knew that truth as that's expressed in Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 24. Can any hide himself in secret places that I shall not see him, saith the Lord? Do not I fill heaven and earth, saith the Lord? He knew that. He knew the truth of God's omnipresence as that is expressed also in Psalm 139. Whither can I go to flee from the presence of the Lord? I cannot go anywhere because God is everywhere. He knew those things, and he was even recently reminded of the fact that God is everywhere present by what God said to Jonah about the city of Nineveh in verse 2. God said to Jonah, go to that city and cry against it. Why? For their wickedness is come up before me. And that was a reminder to Jonah that God was in Nineveh. 
God was present there. God saw what was happening there. He knew that God was everywhere. He knew he could not run away from God himself. What verse 3 means when it says that he ran from the presence of the Lord, as that is repeated also in verse 10, is this, that Jonah was running away from the realm or the sphere, that is, the nation and the place and the people where God had made his presence clearly known and felt, namely, the church. That word presence can be translated in Scripture as God's face. God had shown his face to Israel. And God had revealed himself to Israel. And God had revealed himself with a face to Israel that was favorable, that was gracious, and that was merciful to them because he had revealed himself as Jehovah to them. Jehovah, the name used in this passage that expressed that God is the covenant God, the God who establishes that covenant of friendship and fellowship with his people in Christ. And those who lived in Israel For anyone who was living in the nation of Israel, that person was constantly reminded of the presence of God. He constantly experienced and felt the presence of God and was reminded of it also by means of the sacrifices and ceremonies that took place in the nation of Israel. That is, by the word of God that was proclaimed in Israel, the word of God that was preached then spoken to them even by means of the pictures of the Old Testament. God's word was there. And therefore Jonah's flight from the presence of God has to be understood this way, that it was an attempt on Jonah's part to escape God's word to escape God's word. He wanted to get as far away as possible from the word of God or any reminders of that word of God. He wanted to get as far away as possible from anything that would remind him of God's commandment to him to bring the word of God to Nineveh. He wanted to get as far away as possible from anything that would prick his guilty conscience for his disobedience to the command of God. He wanted to block out the word of God. He wanted not to hear that word of God anymore, and he convinced himself that all he needed to do in order to do that was to get out of the nation of Israel and go as far away as possible across the Mediterranean Sea, and he wouldn't have to hear anymore the word of God to him. 
foolishly thought that God's word could not be spoken to him as he traveled to Tarshish. He foolishly thought that word of God would not be spoken to him and heard by him in Tarshish itself. But he would soon discover otherwise. He would learn and he would discover the truth concerning the word of God that is expressed in 2 Timothy 2 verse 9. The word of God is not bound. And doesn't that, beloved, again point to what is sometimes true of us? We try at different times and we try in different ways to get away from and to avoid God's word to us. Most often, perhaps, when we're living in a sin. And we want to continue living in that sin. And instead of fleeing to God and to his word for the strength to fight against that sin and for the grace of God as our strength, as well as the grace of God by means of which we can be assured of our forgiveness for sin, We tend to run away from the Word of God, ignore it, neglect the Word of God and neglect prayer, neglect worship where the Word of God is proclaimed, or if we do attend, blocking our ears and blocking our hearts to the Word of God. We don't want our consciences pricked by the word of God that condemns us for that besetting sin or that sin that we want to hold on to. The sin of Jonah can be our sin. The sin of Jonah could even be our sin in this way that a member of the church doesn't pick up the phone, doesn't answer the phone because he or she recognizes or at least wonders if it's one of the elders calling. Or a young person who moves out of the home because he or she wants to escape the admonitions and the discipline of parents. Trying to get away from the word of God or a husband or a wife who shuts their ears to the word of God in scripture or in the preaching because it pricks their conscience concerning their calling to be a loving husband and a submissive wife. Or a sinner who rejects the admonitions of the word of God and the admonitions that come to that sinner often by the way of the elders, or even the preaching, by pointing out the sin of the sins of those who bring the admonitions. Shutting our ears to the Word of God, 
That's how we are by nature. That's how I am by nature. The Word of God calls us to repent and to turn to the Lord God and to hear His Word and to submit to the Word of God when God speaks His Word to us. Because when God commands, God must be obeyed. But the Lord, Verse 4, but the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. But, that's a very significant and a powerful word here. God did not let Jonah run away from God's presence. The Lord pursued him. And he who pursued Jehovah, Jonah was Jehovah. Jehovah who pursued him in covenant mercy and who pursued this fleeing prophet, this disobedient child, this wandering sheep, pursued him in order to bring him back to where he should be, in the church and in the presence of God, to hear again God's word to him. But the Lord, that speaks, those words speak of the sovereign grace of God in preserving and restoring Jonah that's what God always does with and in relation to his elect. And you and I can be very thankful for that too. Very thankful. The Lord pursues those of his who wander. And God will do whatever is necessary for the salvation of those whom he has eternally chosen in Christ. The ultimate demonstration of God doing whatever is necessary for the salvation of those who are his is the cross of Christ, of course. Just think of what God did there for the salvation of his wandering and straying sheep. He brought upon his own son eternal wrath. But God also in his providence, and that's what we have before us here in the text, God also in his providence, his works of providence, does whatever is necessary for the salvation of those whom he has chosen, but who stray from his ways. God used his mighty power to turn Jonah from his set. God, as it were, said, Jonah, that's enough. You have gone far enough in your attempt to run away from my presence, to run away from my word to you. 
And then God used his almighty power to stop Jonah. He sent a violent storm to serve Jonah's salvation. The sailors wondered why this sudden storm. They cast a lot. The lot fell upon Jonah. Jonah was the reason. Jonah was the cause. And Jonah himself confessed that when he said, I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which hath made the sea and the dry land. He referred even now to the sovereignty of God over the ocean that God had brought to be tempestuous, almost to the point of destroying the ship and drowning everyone. He also admitted that it was for his sake, because of him, that God sent the storm. He was the reason. And God had brought him to confess that. And God had brought him to confess that by even using not only the storm, but also the casting of the lot as God's way of pointing his finger at Jonah and saying, Jonah, thou art the man. As was said to David, thou art the man. God reminding Jonah that he had followed him, that he was present there, that he was pursuing him, and that Jonah as a child of God could not escape from the presence of God and from the word of God. God sent a storm. The storm grew. And every attempt by the sailors to save the ship from sinking was failing for them. They lightened the load. They threw their cargo overboard. It made no difference. They prayed to their gods and they called upon Jonah to pray to his God. It made no difference. They rowed hard to get the boat back to shore. It made no difference. The sea was tempestuous against them. And then they said unto him, that is unto Jonah, verse 11, What shall we do unto thee, that the sea may be calm unto us? And he said unto them, Take me up, and cast me forth into the sea. So shall the sea be calm unto you, for I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon you. Eventually they had to do that overboard and into the raging sea. They threw Jonah. And a miracle of God, another miracle, happened. The sea was calm. The storm stopped. And it was obvious to everyone, God was present there with them. 
What we must see, beloved, and understand in all of this is that this was a great display of the grace of God. His loving pursuit of Jonah in order to restore him. The storm itself was sent by God as a means to discipline and to correct him, to stop him in his pursuing the path of disobedience to God. And then he was further disciplined by God, chastened by God, when he was thrown overboard by the, others, by the sailors tossed by them into the raging sea. And from his perspective, when he was tossed into the raging sea, this would mean his death through drowning. Tossed into the sea without any hope of being rescued, without any hope of surviving, without any hope of making it back to shore. a judgment that God brought upon him to bring him to realize what it was really like to be away from the presence of God, that is, away from the face of the favor of God. It's very striking. God brought a judgment upon Jonah through the storm itself, and then through having him cast into the ocean, the raging sea, a judgment that fit his crime, that fit his sin. He tried to run away from the presence of God. And God had him realize what that really is like. As he himself says in chapter 2, Verse 2, and he said, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me. Out of the belly of hell cried I, for thou hadst cast me into the deep, in the midst of the seas, and the floods compassed me about. All thy billows and thy waves passed over me. Then I said, I am cast out of thy sight. That was chastisement. A judgment of God to bring him to his spiritual senses. A chastisement that was a display of the God, display of the mercy of God toward him. A chastisement that was a mercy of God toward him because it was a chastisement, not a punishment for sin, because Christ would be punished for his sin. Christ would take the wrath of God for his sin. The chastisement was a mercy. And it was a mercy of God that God used effectively as he applied it to Jonah by his spirit to bring him to repentance and to bring him back to God and to bring him back to where he belonged, in the church, where the word of God was proclaimed and where the presence of God was felt. 
God chastens. God chastens us. And God's chastening, whether it comes on us as individuals, whether it comes on us as families, or whether it comes upon us as a church or churches, is a display of God's mercy. Every chastisement is, including the chastisement that God may bring upon us when, like Jonah, we try to run away from God's word, ignore it, disobey it, block our ears to it, and pursue our own sinful way. Maybe... God does not chasten us in the same extreme way he chastened Jonah. But you can be sure, beloved, when you run away from God, neglect God and neglect the word of God, he does send chastening. Sometimes a harsh chastening. The way of restoration is sometimes a very hard way. And it sometimes needs to be because we have not listened to the word of God. Which is the usual means God uses to turn us from sin and to turn us in the way of, to the way of obedience before him. Chastening, Hebrews 12 speaks of that. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. The word of God is, don't despise the chastening of the Lord. That chastening demonstrates the love of God. A love, first of all, that has punished Christ for our sins and removed his wrath so that the judgment that comes upon us is a chastening judgment. A love that pursues and delivers us from the path that would lead to eternal destruction and death. And a love that corrects and brings us to repentance and to Christ for forgiveness and to Christ for sanctification and spiritual strength to fight and overcome our sin. And so whenever we need the chastening of the Lord, may, be, may we be willing by his grace to receive it, to be humbled by it, and humbly to seek and receive and enjoy forgiveness for sin in Christ and strength to fight the battle of faith against sin. And be thankful, beloved, thankful that your salvation does not depend on yourself 
It depends entirely, entirely on God and his work of grace, even when we stray. He keeps us from falling, and he purposes to present us faultless before the presence of glory and of God one day. He keeps us from running away from the presence of God forever. Sovereignly saves and brings back to himself in his wise and loving way every straying sheep that belongs to Christ. Thanks to God for his saving grace. Amen. Our God and our Heavenly Father, we thank thee for thy salvation of us and thy preservation of us in that salvation and thy turning of us from the ways of sin through thy loving chastisements upon us. We confess we need it. We need it, Lord, even for this reason that we are blind to our straying from and being disobedient to thy word. Correct us in love, restore us to thyself, and continue thy good work of saving us in Christ. In his name we pray, amen. For our final Psalter number, we turn to 382. 382, based on Psalm 139, a reminder to us that we cannot hide from God, run away from his presence, escape from his word. We'll sing all five stanzas of 382.